Hello and welcome to We're Watching What? Or in the case of today, we're interviewing who? I'm your host Dana, or the DHK as I'm known, and it's a very special episode. It is our 200th episode, and we're very excited to be joined by special guest Charlie Jane Anders. Charlie Jane Anders is an incredible writer. She's an award winner. You may know her as the founding editor of io9 or from just her prolific writing. She has a new YA series out called The Unstoppable Trilogy. Dreams Bigger Than Heartbreak, which is the second book in the trilogy, just came out. So spoiler alert for that. You'll want to have read that and Victories Greater Than Death, which is the first book in the series. It's a mega sci-fi galactic, you know, epic that at its core is about a found family. So without further ado, here's we're interviewing who? All right, so it's a big question. What was the most emotionally challenging chapter or storyline for you to get right? And right is, of course, based on your own definition of right. Man, I mean, there were so many things that were emotionally challenging in that book, but I feel like the storyline where Rachel, who's this sort of dreamy artist, who's kind of an introvert, she's an extreme introvert, and she's just like, she left home in the first book she's like i want to leave earth and go out into space draw mm. all of the things i want to draw every like weird creature and every like planet and every yeah. just like amazing you know discovery i just want to draw everything um you know and then at the end of the first book some stuff happens and in the second book a little bit of a spoiler uh but it's on the back cover she <laughs> can no longer do art because right. this alien artifact messed with her brain and so she's like that storyline really hit home for me because i feel like you know when i came up with that idea it was just like oh this is an interesting challenge for her to deal with but then you know the pandemic happened and i was still working on the book and a bunch of other stuff happened and it was like okay this thing of like terrible things have happened and I can't make art anymore. It feels very relevant and it feels very kind of like personal to me now. And, you know, writing about that in a way that felt honest without it getting kind of to be uh, too dark or too, too upsetting or too kind of too much of a bummer was like mm -hmm. a real challenge for me. And like, it, it ended up being a story kind of about comfort and about like people, people comforting her and her also finding comfort and her kind of eventually finding her way through that. But it was it was a really tough storyline to write, and you know it was just it was uh, it was kind of more challenging than I was expecting. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I again not to impose on you, right? But I, I for me, I was like, oh, it's also also about willing to accept comfort, right, when it's offered to you. Yes. Like it's so hard. Yes, to, absolutely. To be like, someone is extending a, an olive branch or a hug or whatever, and you're just like, I don't. I know this is what I need, but I just can't deal with it right now. Oh, man. Yeah, it's so relatable, unfortunately. It's like, it's hard. So this is a nerdy process question, but do you just have like a murder board somewhere of all of the species and pronouns? Like, is there like a Rolodex? Like, how are you keeping track of this stuff? Man, so yeah, I mean, this part of why it's been fun writing this giant trilogy you know, this, it's a big space opera. It's got yep. a bunch of aliens. It's got like a complicated backstory. There's a bunch of world building details. It's mm -hmm. like the most ambitious piece of world building I've ever done, which is actually saying something because I've done some pretty like wacky giant pieces of world building <laughs> before. And, you know, I actually did start out creating a wiki. I created a, mm. a private wiki that's like password protected where I was putting all this stuff in. I, I, at a certain point, I just cut that because life just got too complicated and, and overwhelming. And mm -hmm. so the wiki kind of remained very unfinished. And what I ended up having to do, there's a lot of stuff that's like burned into my brain because, you know, I really have been living with these characters and with these creatures for you know, a long time. And it's been kind of a thing that's been really important to me. 
But I also just, you know, I started having a PDF of the first book and now also the second book handy. And when it's like, oh yeah, okay, so these these folks, what are they about? How exactly did I describe them the first time around? I just go back and, and look them up again. And I just kind of, you know, I feel like I envy George R. R. Martin who has like a group of fans who are more obsessed, if anything, with with those, you know, a song of ice and fire books than he is. And when he wants to remember who somebody was or whatever, he can ask his this group of fans and they'll be like, oh, so and so. And actually they did blah blah blah. And they, you know, and they they have this stuff like completely memorized and there are really elaborate wikis online that go through all of it. I didn't really have that, especially before the first book had even come out. So I just was kind of, you know, trying to remind myself, but also the other thing is if you create people and characters and species and civilizations and everything that kind of are interesting enough to stick in your own brain that that's probably a good sign like if i'm like oh those guys yeah they're this they do this and they're this like if if it kind of if i kind of have instant recall of that it probably means that it's a little bit more interesting than if it's just like the generic whatever species yeah i i mean i love the way that it's it's I hope someday it is no longer aspirational and it is just sort of more of an accepted thing where everyone just always introduces themselves with their pronouns. Oh and then my I love God, that I like wish. I love that uh, you know, suddenly it's no longer the pronouns that we as humans uh get used to, right? And the one that stuck out to me for this uh this last book was fire. Yeah. I, I was explaining it to a, a friend and I was they were just like, I would like to use the pronoun chaos from now on. And I was like, I will I will use that for you. If that's the pronoun you want to use, like Let's go for it. So I, I love this idea that like you're, you know, hopefully changing culture. <laughs> yeah, like that's yeah. The... We're going to take a quick break and be right back. And we're back. I mean, pronouns are weird when you think about them, right? Like pronouns are just weird. And like in the first book, it was this thing of like, well, if we have a universal translator that's like helping us to understand other people who speak other languages, why wouldn't it also like make sure we know everybody's pronouns? And so yeah. that was just the thing that made sense to me. And then, you know, that character, Windgog, whose pronoun is fire, and, you know, eventually we're going to meet some other members of Windgog species, and some of them have the pronoun fire, some of them have the pronoun blood. Uh, but, uh, you know, that was a character that actually, fire was originally in the first book, and fire had to be cut from the first book for, for length reasons, so I just oh. basically, as revenge, made fire a much bigger character in book two, and then an even bigger character in book three. And I just, I love fire. I love that, you know, fire is basically like a big fire breathing beetle, giant beetle, breathes smoke and fire and fire pronoun is fire. And I just was like, that's awesome. I feel like that's, I feel like pronouns are just weird and silly to begin with. And we sort of pretend that they're not like the idea that when you talk about someone in the third person, there should be any other information about them other than just, you know, that we should try to yeah. doing like gender or whatever, or in some species, some, some civilizations, I guess they also have other things that they encode like about status or whatever. Yeah. I actually had a, like a very long discussion because I, I told a friend that we were having chatting later and, and uh, you know, we had a long discussion about pronouns. They are, they he now, you know, in trans mask and it was just, they got misgendered. Anyway, this is a tangent. They got misgendered today and it was a very, very upsetting. Uh, I'm so yeah, sorry. Yeah. But, but it's just one of those things that we were just like, why is it just not, the norm and also i mean to not to dive too much into this side topic but it's also like why is the impetus on us to introduce our own pronouns why is that like like hey i respect you let me ask you what you or yours are to start you know i mean of, that would also be good because how do you describe the core of your characters because i again i don't want to impose on your writing but 
I enjoy that they just feel very wholesome to me. And that's not to say that they don't engage in morally gray part, like, actions and they don't have more edgy thoughts and things like that. But I just love the friendships about them. So I, I describe them as wholesome. But what's like your North Star for them? I mean, I think wholesomeness is actually a thing I think about. And especially the last few years, like things have just gotten so dark and terrible mm-hmm. and upsetting that actually wholesome feels like a goal. It feels like when I watch something like Steven Universe or, you know, um, I don't know, some other recent shows like Babysitter's Club is a show that I was really obsessed with. <laughs> I want, When I watch shows like that, the fact that it's about people who are kind of basically kind to each other mm-hmm. is like a selling point. That's like, okay, this is something I want right now because there's so much unkindness in the world right now that this feels actually really important. It feels like a thing that we need. And so, yeah, wholesomeness is actually, I am shamelessly into wholesomeness. And you know, the, one of my kind of watchwords, one of the things that I always say is that I have a hard time caring about characters who don't care about each other. Like, I feel like there's mm. been a thing of like, it's gotten kind of trendy to like write characters who are just kind of relentlessly, you know, mean and nasty to each other for like mm-hmm. hundreds of pages and you're supposed to be like oh that's so there's like it's a, it's entertaining but it's also it's sort of entertaining like in the a not dissimilar way to how like a lot of reality tv is entertaining where it's like i was just gonna compare fight. to like housewives or something yeah <laughs> like... but at the same time at a certain point it's like i just you know i don't care as much about them because they're so they they're kind of teaching me that they don't they don't think each other are worth caring about and so I don't know. So I actually, I'm a big believer in like, if if you have moments of like, kind of conflict or or nastiness or messiness or kind of things being really unpleasant and people being kind of unpleasant to each other, it's not a bad idea to counterbalance that with some kindness and some some actual you know people taking care of each other and wholesomeness or whatever. And that's the thing that I and you know oftentimes a first draft of one of my books, they're all, it'll really veer too hard in one direction or the other. Mm. Like it'll either be like free of conflict or it'll be like just nothing but people being mean to each other. And it'll just yeah. be like, okay, I need to like go in there and kind of rethink this a little bit. And, you know, sometimes I have to just make a conscious effort to just be like, okay, what's going on with these people? Because often part of what happens is I haven't gotten to the core of what's going on with my characters mm. because it's actually really hard to watch to, to write people in order to write people being there for each other, you have to really know what's going on with them. You can't just have a superficial understanding of what's going on with them. Like it can't just be like, Oh, this person is in a bad mood or this person is like pissed off about this thing. It's like, what are they really feeling? What's really going on? Like, because there's always stuff going on below the surface of like that kind of anger or, or resentment or whatever. There's like layers to it. Like I find it like actually kind of fun, I guess, to like have people who are, butting heads, but then they can actually understand what's going on beneath the surface and kind of communicate better. And that's the thing that I really like doing. And it feels like a bit of a magic trick. Do you feel that, I mean, obviously every writer has to, hopefully every writer inserts some of themselves into the characters, or like you said, it's like, what there's nothing to connect to. Are there characters you identify with more or is everyone sort of just an aspect of your life? I think it's a little of both. I think that I definitely... They're, all of the characters are kind of aspects of, of me or whatever. But at the same time, you know, I feel like I really identify with Rachel. I mentioned her earlier. She's the artist. She's a, an extreme introvert. I'm kind of a, I'm actually 
an extreme introvert like about half the time or about two thirds mm-hmm. of the time, but I can extrovert, you know, when the situation requires it. And, uh, you know, I really like, I really identify with her a lot. Um, but I feel like all of the characters like have aspects of me in them or, I, and that's what I'm really reaching for when I'm writing them. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I feel like Rachel, Rachel is the character who I'm just like, okay, I get you because she's just like, she's so goofy and like, <laughs> She wants to bring people together. She wants to like create mm. community, but she also can't deal with people. I feel like that's the thing I really identify with, like wanting to bring people together, wanting to create com- community, but also being like, oh my gosh, I need to get away from people now. Right, right. It's like a, a, there's, you have to put a time box on it sometimes where it's like, I my emotional meter has run out. Thank you. Have a good evening. You know, like that. Pretty sort of, much. Yeah. And, and you know, Pretty community much. building, like writers with drinks. So exciting that it's back. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's definitely a thing that's become like, you know, a thing that I think of as like, I think of Writers for Drinks as like a way to build community and a way to bring together different like book worlds that don't always connect up for sure. So this is, you don't have to answer this question, but if you were to describe the attributes of your own personal worst best friend. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So that's referring to this game that like, you know, that was the thing that I actually had a lot of fun with that. So like in the second book, after Rachel can't create art, Mm -hmm. she kind of, you know, becomes addicted to this weird video game called Worst Best Friend, where she has to design like basically a a total evil frenemy frenemy for herself. Right. And uh, it's about like making the perfect frenemy. Oh, man. I mean, I think my worst best friend would definitely be someone who tries to undermine my self-esteem, but in, like, the guise of being, like, you know, supportive or whatever. Mm. It's like, oh, it's okay that you're kind of bad at this. Oh, yeah, you know, whatever. Lots of people are are terrible at writing. Don't worry about it. You know, like, somebody who just, like, turns down my self-esteem, somebody who just kind of, like, helpfully points me to stuff that's going to upset me. Like, yeah. you know, like, oh, this person, this person said something mean about you on the internet and you didn't see it. Let me make sure you, that you see this. Right, really, right. But you were I'm mentioned. really concerned. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really concerned about this thing and I think you should know about it. And it's like, you know, a little bit of concern trolling. I think that would be my personal worst best friend. I feel okay. like I'm not sure I should even be saying this because I'm like giving people on the internet like a roadmap. I'm like, uh oh. But I think that this is, these are known, these are known tactics, I think. Yeah. And also, I, you know, I think this is a lot of our <laughs> worst best friend attributes. You know, it's a very universal. I, you know, I should not be saying this because I don't want to undermine what you've just said. Everything you've said is valid. Well, I will not be you. your worst best friend right now. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. yeah. But uh, yes, that's a that's a very good answer. <laughs> so one of the one of the quotes of the book I I really loved is there's one that I don't even have a question around. I was just like, this is so so true. That's what shitty dudes do. They make you waste all your time trying to understand them just so you can live. And I was like, oh, oh my god, that one hits deep. <laughs> like, yeah, that is, I that oh my god, that when I wrote that line, I was like, oh my god, this actually sums up a lot. Like it really okay. yes. Sometimes I write a lot, like not very often, but every now and I write a line like that and I'm like, okay, yeah, wow, that's the thing that I've been having, uh, I've been wanting to put into words for a long time and man, Tina totally found the way to say that in that situation. But it's really true. I feel like Morant is like a horrible villain, but he's also kind of the manifestation of all of these like obnoxious dudes who just waste your time, like just waste your time with like just random bullshit that you have to like try to make sense of and it's like you know that it's bullshit but you still have to make sense of it because the, there's no other way to deal with them 
it's like deliberately like just throwing tacks in your path or whatever that you have to pick up before yeah. you can keep moving. So yeah, oh my God. Yeah, thank you. You're the first person to mention that line. And I, I really Yeah. Oh man. I remember oh, well, I wrote uh, that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I'm glad, but I I that just stroke struck a chord in my soul. It's like that's what it's like. <laughs> like that's just exactly what I want it on a pillow. I want it on a shirt. Oh my like God. I want I would it just totally like put it on a flag. Get that embroidered. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. Yeah. And it's it's funny, like that happens in the middle of like a big space battle, I guess. And like it just feels like such a like a random observation in the middle of like a big pew pew space battle. But at the same yeah, time, yeah. it's like it makes ah, it makes it, yeah. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, no, thank you. And so actually, there is a question around this. So um, and again, I will put a spoiler alert at the beginning of the discussion, so folks will know. Um, but so you know, Morant, you you've humanized is not the right word because they are obviously like we're talking about an intergalactic space opera full of you know lots of things, but you have given more dimension to this horrid character right who could have been the faceless or not the faceless but the you know the the big bad without any sort of additional input was that always the plan or was this like hey you know what i think i'm gonna shift to this you know what's the what's the vibe there and also part of this question originates from um you know, the last few years we've had some political shifts <laughs> that <laughs> come from shitty dudes so that's what that's something i maybe took away from it but i'm i'm curious of course what your intention like originally had been yeah i was trying to walk that line because i did actually feel like if we're gonna spend like three books with this guy like he Mm -hmm. ought to get a little bit more layers and a little bit more kind of like a little bit more you know going on a little bit below the surface um and like part of what part of what interests me about morant is that he's somebody who basically he's kind of in the present tense in the present story he's given up on the idea that he's ever going to be loved and he's Mm -hmm. just like what i'm going to do instead of trying to get people to love me is i'm going to destroy anybody else's love for anybody else and so Mm -hmm. his thing is like if he minor spoiler for the first nobody can yeah (laughs) yeah and so his whole superpower is if he touches you not only do you die and like turn into like just a puddle of disgusting goo but also anybody who knew you will think that you were terrible and hate you. Right. Like they'll just, and so nobody can mourn for you once you're dead. And I think that that's just his way of being like, nobody's ever going to love me. So I'm going to make, I'm going to destroy your love. And that's mm-hmm. his whole thing. And so I kind of got curious about that. And like, I had this thing in the first book about like his ex-wife or his wife who allegedly died and who, you know, had been his kind of partner and everything. And then mm-hmm. he, she died because of his, selfish bullshit behavior yeah and i just you know i wanted to kind of see more of that and like you know especially once i decided spoiler alert that she's not actually dead which yeah you know if you've ever read a book and there's a character who you're told is dead and you didn't actually see their body you kind of know but yep so proper rules (laughs) yeah but but spoiler alert she's not actually dead and she has put up in the present you know i wanted to kind of see a little bit more of their relationship but it was it was that was a balance that i struck because i this is the thing i went back and forth with my beta readers and with my editor and with other folks about like okay i want to like get a little deeper into his character. I don't want to excuse him. I don't want to be like, well, yeah, he's a genocidal, you know, dirtbag, but he's, he's got a heart of gold or gosh, he was really hurt in the past. It's like, no, in fact, he was a selfish jerk in the past too. Mm -hmm. He just was like more of a regular selfish jerk. 
and you know, everybody made mistakes in those, those flashbacks. It's not like he's the only person who screwed up. Other people screwed mm -hmm. up, but he handled it really badly. And his response was to kind of drag people into a really bad situation. And I just wanted it to be like, and you know, there was like that thread of like, on the other hand, one hand, this is kind of how he got to be such an asshole in the present, but also like, we're not going to like feel sorry for him after that. We're going to like, right. You know, I have no desire, especially after the last few years we've had to be like, Hey, but actually this, you know, basically fascist dude is like, we should really be worried about his, you know, well-being or his state of mind, or we should really, we should really feel sorry for him. And I'm like, no, not really. Nope. No, no. Uh, okay. So I found the art thing that I wanted to talk about. Um, another quote, your art should change as you have new experiences. So my question to you is, what do you think has changed about your art, slash writing, which is art, uh, since All the Birds in the Sky? Oh, wow. That's such a, I love that question. So, you know, All the Birds in the Sky was like kind of the peak of me doing kind of very whimsical, kind of very goofy, silly humor, which mm -hmm. I still love to do. And I kind of, you know, I made a conscious effort after that to kind of try different things because I didn't want to get stuck in one kind of groove. Mm -hmm. So my next book, The City in the Middle of the Night, is a little bit more serious, a little bit darker, a little bit more kind of grounded and emotional, hopefully. And I kind of dialed back the humor a lot. And then with these YA books, they're very humorous and silly and funny again. But with, I think that that experiment, like with, with The City in the Middle of the Night and some of the other experiments that I've done since All the Birds in the Sky, kind of hopefully helped me to kind of be able to, like what I was trying to do was get better at getting at that emotion and that kind of grounded, serious stuff. Mm -hmm. And so my hope is that when I write something that's like really silly and zany and stuff, I'm a little bit better at kind of pivoting to like the really dark, serious stuff. So that's my hope. And I just, I feel like the experiment of doing these YA books has also just kind of pushed me in a different direction because it's, it's made my writing much faster paced. It's made my mm -hmm. writing much more like zingy and, uh, and more, and just the emotion is right there on the surface. But at the same time, hopefully there's like lots of humor as well that's still coming at you kind of. So I'm just, I'm constantly trying to kind of refine that mix of things, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, faster paced is a, <laughs> like an under way to describe it because there's it's, it's great, right? Because it's like constantly something happening. It's just like page turning of like, oh my God, how does this escalating even more? <laughs> like what is happening here? <laughs> Which is great though, because it's just all packed in. This is, this is, I hope you I hope you take so there's you know because it is YA uh, and the characters are younger I I am an old apparently how do you keep up with the cultural references like you know how do you prevent yourself from doing a like a how do you do fellow kids <laughs> you know is it like oh, do you rely on man. test readers is it just seeing what's up on Twitter or like are the kids even on the kids probably aren't even on Twitter anymore but like you know how how do you pick and choose which cultural references you want to include, because obviously it takes a while to publish a book sometimes, and then you don't want something to become dated, but you also want it to be resonant with, you know, the modern audience who's reading it. Man, that is such a challenge. And like, honestly, I kind of decided early on in writing these YAs that I was not going to try to use any teen like slang <laughs> or any kind yeah. of like, you know, phrases that the kids are using right now, even if I got it right, you know, publishing timelines are such that by the time the book came out it might seem dated mm -hmm. i had a high probability of being like that steve buscemi meme of like how do you do fellow kids yeah, like, yeah, yeah. i just didn't want to even risk that i was like i'm not going to try to write teen slang i'm going to try to write you know and i worked really hard at this and like did kind of hang out like 
you know, there are some kids that I know, like I have a, a nephew and also uh, there's a kid who lives downstairs from Annalie who I hang out with a lot. And there's other mm-hmm. some other kids I hang out with. So I kind of listened to how kids talk. And I thought about like, I tried to channel my own kind of teenage self, but also just try to write in a way that felt like truthful or whatever. I feel like truthful and emotional and kind of like full of like that, that, that yearning or that passion for like wanting to like, wanting to be your truest self wanting to like wanting to wanting to just seize life with both hands and just like that kind of urgency and that kind of passion that I felt like was a thing when I was a teenager that I feel like there are certain things that will kind of translate if you can just be if you can get to that honest truthful place but not I didn't try really hard to like write teen speak which I yeah yeah, that's not that I I, I hope that's not what you thought yeah Yeah. and like (laughs) The cultural references, like, I do think it's important for, like, these kids who are, like, you know, they're traveling through space. One of the things I, one of the things that I like about having kids who've come from Earth and are, like, off on this big space adventure is that you can have these little references to Earth stuff that kind of anchor things in a way that feels more grounded and more, like, connected to something from home. So it's not just, like, we're not just, it's not just completely unreal. There's like a real thing that like you can, you can keep being reminded of stuff. And like, like in the third book, there's a reference to Olivia Rodrigo. And, you know, I try to use There's also one in the second. <laughs> Is there? Shoot. Why not change it in the, the third book then? Cause I don't oh, want to do that. Out, yeah. <laughs> I feel like those, I mean, I'm taking a little bit of a calculated risk here that mm-hmm. Olivia Rodrigo won't completely vanish from like right, the right. zeitgeist in the next couple of years. And that, you know, if somebody reads the book five years from now, they won't be like, oh, it's mentioning Olivia Rodrigo. That pins it to this one time yeah. in the zeitgeist or whatever in history, this woman moment in history. I try to use those kind of sparingly and try to stick to things that I feel like are going to stick around. And it's obviously a little bit of a gamble. And it's also just like, you know, but you could also have references to other stuff like, you know, uh, to weird like energy drinks on Earth or whatever, or just like weird pop culture things or just mm-hmm. made up stuff. Like, I think I made up some pop culture stuff, too. And there's like the place where they hang out on Earth called the 23 hour coffee bomb. That's not a real place. But I just like I feel like if you have a mixture of stuff like that, you can kind of finesse it. But it's it's tricky. Like I have one short story I wrote or actually it's a novella. I have one novella I wrote where when I first wrote it, there was like a reference to Ashton Kutcher. And then I changed him to Justin Timberlake. And then I changed him to a different guy. And it kept getting published in different places. And every time I got published in a new place, I would change that name to like something mm-hmm. I thought was more current. Yeah. And finally, I think I just made up a fake actor because I was like, this is getting ridiculous. You know, whoever I pick is going to be irrelevant by the time this or or you know has tarnished by the time this comes out i'm just gonna make up a fake gamble right like you know like will they still be will they be canceled um like people are gonna be like people at home are like googling ashton kutcher now who i i just had that thought i was like and you know what will come up now like crypto investor or something like that right which is not like teen heartthrob which is what he started i mean man what is that you're doing is he a crypto know. investor now? I don't know. I mean, would you be surprised? I um, would not. Yeah. I wouldn't. Literally, you could tell me anything about what Ashton Kutcher is doing right now. And I'd be like, okay, <laughs> right. that makes sense. You could be like, Ashton Kutcher is working as a clown at children's parties. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, I can yeah, see that. Yeah, that tracks, that tracks. He yeah. absolutely invested in Bitcoin. So there we he go. He did? <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. okay. Well, good old Ashton. 
Good old Ashton. Yes. But I, I totally understand what you're saying about like mixing it in and therefore, bu- I guess it's like buffering yourself, right? Like giving yourself a little buffer so it doesn't exist in a void. And you're like, no, really, I'm a writer from Earth. Like I, I lived in these times. I know there are people around, but also like it's a work of fiction. Of course, there are going to be places that aren't real or, you know, references that aren't, you know, and yeah. maybe, who knows, maybe there will be a 23 hour or something someday. Somebody will be like, I'm going to open it. Like, <laughs> Somebody should open that. I would go there. You know, Annalie and right now, Annalie and I right now are watching High School Musical, the musical, the series. The, the series, the Kids' Choice Award winner. <laughs> it's so good. I don't know why I know that, but. <laughs> it's actually, That's... you know, I mean, I love, I could talk about it for the next hour, but maybe we'll talk about it at the end. We but probably will. <laughs> I, I believe in Olivia Rodrigo. I think that, you know, I, I'm, I'm betting my personal like writing career on Olivia Rodrigo still being around. Like I was, I was just going to say, when you pick some of these people, I'm like, is this cultural forecasting? Are you being like, I'm going to give you a little bump. I'm going to emblazon you in fiction history forever. You know, like I, I, mean, I give like you the this other way around. I am hitching my wagon to the, <laughs> the, the Olivia Rodrigo like, wagon. So the I feel like that's a smart like, move. Yeah. I feel like Olivia Rodrigo is going to like, she's going to have a long career. I'm just, yeah. I'm, you heard it here first. Great. I like yes. her music. I like, I don't know. I like her. I like her style. Well, I, I hope. I hope everyone hears it here. I hope you keep her a reference in the third book. <laughs> but let her have a through line here. <laughs> Are you allowed to talk about the optioning slash adaptation at all? Or is that like under wraps, et cetera? I'm allowed to talk about it. There's not. At, at a high level, obviously. I don't want to like, yeah. There's not a lot that I can say right now because it's it's Hollywood. It's definitely course, yeah. moving forward. Uh, there's been some news recently, like in the last week or so. Stuff is happening. You know, it's it's. Like, so Michael B. Jordan's uh, Outlier Society uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, they, uh, Elizabeth Raposo with Outlier Society uh, optioned the book and Amazon picked it up. And so Amazon is developing it as a TV show and uh, it's it's in the process. Like stuff is being developed right now and like there's things happening and like people are making hatching plans and stuff. And it's really exciting. I am basically just, you know, I, I'm kind of getting... I'm having regular kind of meetings about it, but you know, it's Hollywood. It's, uh, it's, it's always, it's its own beast. Of, yeah. So, so my question beast. about it actually is more like, you know, when this opportunity presents itself, like what was your sort of uh, journey through it? Right. Like, did you hesitate? Were you like, this is my baby. I don't know if I want you to do this. Or were you like immediately like, let's do this thing. <laughs> I was super excited. And I feel like, you know, right now is actually a really good time if for someone writing books, it's a really good time to get them to have them be kind of picked up by Hollywood because there's this pendulum that's swung really far in like uh, the like it used to be that when Hollywood optioned a book, they'd be like, okay, great, now we're gonna change everything and we're gonna mm-hmm. like just you know keep the title possibly, but like change all the characters, change what happens, change like basically like everything except for maybe the basic concept, yeah. and the pendulum has swung really far in the other direction of we are going to like faithfully adapt. Like, we're going to, we're going to yeah. faithfully, we're going to adapt it as faithfully as we can. And I know that they're going to have to make, take some liberties with it because it's, it's a very, you know, there's a lot going on in that book, a lot going on in all three books. And like, I think that somebody, they're going to have to make, take some liberties and make some changes, but I feel like it's a really, you know, in general, I've been like just amazed at how people in Hollywood, like from, from when my first stuff was first being optioned, like, several years ago to now there's been this seismic shift where people really want me involved as much as possible. They want my input and they want 
it to be as close to as true to the book as possible. And this is a book that, you know, it is full of like, it's a very, it's got a very like awesome cast of like kids from all over the world. And like a lot of them are like very queer in different ways. There's like a lot of identities represented in this book. And like, if it actually happens and we get to see those kids be like heroes and go out and save the galaxy, that would be amazing. And like, mm-hmm. that would just be like out phenomenal and outstanding. And like, I would love that. So I think, you know, I was just overjoyed at the idea. I thought it's great. And everybody involved in it is amazing. I love, I love Kevin at Amazon. I love like the people who are like trying to adapt it right now. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say people's names or like that haven't been announced yet, but uh yeah, it's it's it's. I'm just super stoked about it. That's I'm delighted to hear that. I mean, obviously, I assumed you eventually came to the conclusion of you're on board with this since you agreed to do it. But you know, it's one of those things. It's like, yeah, it's 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 your intellectual baby. So, speaking of shifting gears a tiny bit to film TV, because I'm a film TV nerd, what is an adaptation of a book or or series or whatever that you think is really well done? Like, what is your north star of like this is? It can be a movie, it can be a TV series, but like, what are you like? Oh they did a really great job. And it doesn't have to be in the sci-fi genre at all. Or, you know, it's just like, you're like, yeah, that was a great adaptation. Oh man. There's like a couple that, let me think for a second. Cause I, I've just, I've got a couple at the tip of my tongue and I'm trying to think of what they are right now. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I feel like actually the Doom Patrol adaptation on HBO Max Ooh. has done a really good job of adapting the comics. Uh-huh. I feel like I really like that. I feel like they did a really good job with that. And, um, I've heard that Station Eleven is really good. I haven't watched it yet, but I, I've I heard really good things about that. I started it, but I was not in the right uh, uh, healthy headspace to take on a pandemic-based oh, trauma. Because yeah. I read the book years ago, and I was like, "This is great," but I also hadn't lived through a pandemic at the time. <laughs> yeah. Wah, wah, wah. Uh, oh my gosh! Yeah. Also, I'm gonna just say Babysitters Club again. I love yeah, Babysitters okay. Club. That is a great TV show. Uh, it's been a long time since I read the books, but the TV show does such an amazing job and the characters are just so rich and so well done. And so just like, I love those characters and I love how they kind of made it a more, they kind of modernized it in a way that felt very kind of positive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just like, I don't know, it's such an uplifting show and like, it's got just like such a lovely energy to it. I also felt like it was diversified in an authentic way as opposed to being like, we need a Benetton of people now because we're making it in modern times, you know? (laughs) Yeah. No, no, they actually like. (laughs) Yeah, they actually thought really carefully about all those characters and they all just, they they feel like real people, even though they kind of are a little bit archetypes, they still, they feel like real people. I love that show so much. I'm so bummed it was canceled. Yeah. All right, so you touched on this a little bit earlier, but the the broader name of the podcast is We're Watching What? So you're watching High School Musical, the series, it sounds like. Oh what my else gosh, are you watching yes. these days? Or do you want to talk so, more yeah. about that? I'm down. <laughs> I mean, I do want to talk a minute about High School Musical, the musical, the series. So Annalie and I became obsessed with Kenny Ortega. I don't know if you know about Kenny Ortega. Of course I know who Kenny Ortega is. <laughs> but okay, yes, yes. so for the, for the he, kids out there who don't. <laughs> he was like one of the people in charge of Julie and the Phantoms, which was an incredible TV show. It's so great. Another TV show that was canceled way before its time. Like it only got one season and I'm still mm-hmm. really upset about that. Uh, and so Kenny Ortega directed the three high school musical movies and um, also did Newsies and mm-hmm. Hocus Pocus and was the choreographer on the movie Xanadu and basically just like all the rainbows and sunshine and awesomeness comes out of Kenny Ortega one way or the other. 
And yes. so, um, yeah. Uh, so we had been watching the High School Musical movies, which oh, okay. they actually make a joke early on in High School Musical, the musical, the series, about how like somebody was like, I'm really obsessed with High School Musical. I've seen the first movie 20 times and I've seen the first 15 minutes, the second and third movies, which feels very like accurate to me. Like I feel like the first High School Musical movie is incredible and the second and third movies have some great moments. Anyway, so... So the thing I love about High School Musical, the musical, the series, is how meta it is. It takes, have you watched it? I have not. Okay, so. But you're about to convince you, me too, so. Have you, have, you seen, have you seen the movies? I have seen bits of the first one, but I just, I missed that train. Uh, but I'm All familiar with the concept. All you need to the first one. Okay. The first one is really the only one you need to see. The second and third are honestly. I can watch the first 15 minutes like, of the second and third. <laughs> apparently <laughs> you know? they, they pretty much said that on the TV show. I was like, damn, yeah. you just said that. It's true. I'm surprised they kept just... that in on their own like ecosystem, but good for them. <laughs> I mean, that's what I love about the show. So basically high school musical, the musical, the series takes place in a world where those movies exist. Okay. And where Zac Efron <laughs> is a real person and like Vanessa Hudgens is a real person. Okay. And so it's a it's a it's a TV show about people trying to do a stage musical based on these movies. And it's very meta. They're always yeah. watching the movies and dissecting them and kind of talking about them and like trying to recreate them. So it's a it's kind of a TV show about fanfic in a way. Ooh. It's also yes, a little it bit like this is a comparison that nobody was expecting, but it's also a little bit like the second human centipede movie. Oh where my God. <laughs> Go on, I'm intrigued. So <laughs> So I don't know how much you know about the human centipede. Unfortunately, I know more about that than I know about high school musical. (laughs) So the first human centipede is pretty straightforward, right? It's this doctor kidnaps these people and turns them into a human centipede like you do. Yes, as one does. (laughs) As one does. So the second human centipede movie, which I confess I haven't watched all the way through. I did watch the first. The second human centipede movie takes place in a world where the first human centipede movie was a movie. Ah, it's about a uh, overly obsessive fan of the first Human Centipede movie okay. who kidnaps the actors who were in the Human Centipede movie and forces them to act out the movie that they were in. Wow. Wow. And so it's like a metafictional thing of like, this movie that we all watched is a movie and this is a movie about the movie. Okay. And so High School Musical, the musical, the series is the same way. It's like, this is a movie you all watched. This is a TV show about people who watch that movie that we all watched and they're obsessed with it. If you had told me this morning that I would be discussing High School Musical, the musical, the show, and Human Centipede 2 in the same conversation, I wouldn't have believed you, but here we are. What a treat. Here we are. I mean, that's this is literally what I said to Annalie while we were watching. I was like, it's just like the Human Centipede 2. And, and, and the way you describe it, yes, it sounds like it is. I actually thought it was like a reality competition show. So now that you've said what it is, I'm like, I'm going to have to watch this, aren't I? Just for the, the sake and of... There's there's a bunch of kids at a high school in Utah. I don't know. It's it's not actually... I don't know for sure if it's actually Utah or not. But there's a bunch of kids at a high school in Utah where the first high school musical movie was filmed, according to in the show. Okay. And they decide they're going to put on a stage play of it. And one of them is Olivia Rodrigo. And she's got a love triangle between two dudes who are honestly both kind of disappointing. Mm. And there's a gay kid and he invites this other kid who is like a farm boy, this other guy to pride, yeah. to, to, to prom, sorry, to prom. And the whole thing is, is the guy going to show up or not? It's like, Ooh. oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know. I, I find it very delightful thus far. It is very delightful. 
it feels I'm very going to check it out. out. Like, I promise you, I'm going to check it out based on your description. Any of the show promotional materials? No, they should just hire you to like, do the I press. I should be their them. new publicist. Their new I could publicist. Finally make some real money. <laughs> yes. Optioned book, not so much. But High School Musical, the musical, the show, a publicist, that's the big bucks. <laughs> okay, so another question for you is Have you ever felt represented on screen? And if so, what was the first time? You know, I'm going to say the TV show Supergirl. Okay. uh, Which had this trans superhero named Dreamer, played by Nicole Maines, who I think Dreamer is a character in the comics as well, but they changed her completely for the TV show. And she's, Mm -hmm. she, they have this storyline where she's comes from some alien species where like they have the ability to use dream powers, which can include, you know, using dream energy to like do stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's very, ne- it's not very, very well explained ever, but basically that the powers are passed down from mother to daughter. And okay. so the, this character Nia has a sister who is like cisgender and she's trans. And the sister assumes that she's going to be one, the one to inherit the dream powers from their mom. Mm-hmm. But then instead, the trans girl is the one who inherits it. And I just love that storyline. And I love her character. And I love that, like, the show's point of view is very much like, nope, she and her sister are both girls. And so it could have been either one of them. But it happened to be the trans girl. And, you know, nobody. Yeah. Like, it's it's very much like, yes, this is real. And this is right. And it just I love that character. I love how, like, she kind of levels up and becomes a hero using these powers that are kind of, like, tied to her being a woman. Mm-hmm. I thought that was amazing. And Nicole Maines just kills it. She's so good in that show. And I wish they'd make a spinoff about her. But um, it's an amazing, it's an amazing, That's that whole arc is amazing. And she gets an amazing romance. I love her. She's just such a great character. Yeah, that's awesome. What is the first film you remember seeing in theaters that you were the driving force behind going to see? So it's not like your parents brought you along and you're like, a, you know, anybody else. You were just like, we have to go see this movie, please. Man. Oh, gosh. I'm going to say Harlem Nights, which was a movie Murphy made in the 80s, early 90s that had like everybody in it. It had Red Fox. It had uh, people at home. Correct me if I'm getting this wrong. It had Richard Pryor. It had Della Reese. It had like every great like black comedian ever in it. And Arsidio Hall was in it. Mm -hmm. And like, again, if I'm if any of this is incorrect, please. No, just it's all right so far. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, and it, I I just remember being like, we have to go see this. And I like convinced a bunch of my friends, like, look, we have to go see this. This is important culture. And also like it just, the, the trailers made it look like kind of just amazing and bizarre. And it was definitely a passion project. It was one of those, one of those passion projects where you could kind of see the rough edges, mm-hmm. but it, I don't know. I love that movie. And like, I dragged all my friends to go see it. So I'm going to say that. Either that or Brenda Starr, which was okay. a movie that Brooke Shields made, which I, <laughs> I heard somewhere that they actually she actually paid a lot of money to have that movie never released in the United States. Uh, but it was shown in Hong Kong, where I was staying at the time. And I was wow. Like, we have to go see this movie. We're never going to be able to see it in theaters in the States. So we're going to go see it now. And like I rallied everybody to go see Brenda Starr, which has Timothy Dalton the the lesser the one of the like great unsung James Bonds. I was actually going to say not a lesser James Bond. I will argue that Timothy Dalton is a very good James Bond. <laughs> a lesser known James Bond. I would say he's a very yeah. good James Bond. Yes. But he's one of the lesser appreciated James Bonds and he's in it wearing an eye patch and like being kind of Brenda Starr's kind of like mysterious like sidekick who shows up occasionally. 
I don't Great. know. Great. Yeah. So I love that. Really weird random movies that I'm like, we have to go see this now. Yeah, but the street like, cred you must have gotten early. for Harlem Nights is just wild. <laughs> yeah, just being like, this yeah, is what we need to I go see. That, <laughs> I think people appreciated it, actually. People were like dubious, but then they appreciated it. I would hope so. Growing up, who was your favorite fictional character? Who was my fa- I mean, I'm going to say the doctor from Doctor Who. I was very which, Doctor which Who obsessed. Which doctor, though? Like, which number? Well, I'm going to date or myself of- and say Tom Baker. Like, okay. I was one of those kids who grew up on Tom Baker. In the 80s on PBS, he was just, like, you turn on the TV, he was there. Mm-hmm. Like, throughout the 80s, long after, like, he left the role in the early 80s, but he didn't make, a lot of his stories didn't make it to the States for a while after that. And, like, you know, we were just, like, marinating in Tom Baker. And he's just, <laughs> he's so, he's just, I still really love his performance because it's got so many different, like, facets to it. And, like, I think he's just, like, he was such having such a good time being an alien. And mm. I felt like when I was a kid, I was having a bad time being an alien. So it was actually really reassuring to watch someone who was enjoying, you know, not being like a, a human being or whatever. And I was like, yay, he's doing it. I don't know. Yeah, it can I felt be very fun. alien when I was a kid, I guess I'd say. Oh, my last question is how do you define personal success now? And how has that changed from earlier in your career or life? Just, a, you know, a light ending question. <laughs> Man, I talk about this in my book that came out a while ago, Never Say You Can't Survive. Mm-hmm. I kind of tried to come up with a definition of success that would make me happy rather than miserable. And this was mm-hmm. years ago that I came up with it. I mean, I think when I was starting out trying to write fiction, you know, I was like, you know, like 20 years ago, gosh, I was trying to break in as a fiction writer. And I was like, if I can be published in like these places, you know, I'll consider myself a success. And I've been published in like a lot of those places. I think most of those places since then. So I, you know, according to that rubric, I'm a success. The yeah. the definition of success that I came up with at a certain point that I try to stick to because it's, again, it'll make you happy rather than miserable is mm-hmm. I kind of measure whether I'm successful or not by like who I get to be associated with. Like, do I get Ooh. to be associated with people who I like, who I admire, who I think are cool? Like if I can look at the people around me who I'm like collaborating with or who I'm kind of in the same boat with or who are in my like community with me. And I'm like, these are really, these are people I really cool, who I think are really cool, who I really like, who I'm just proud and happy to be associated with. Then I'm like, okay, that is, that's, that's being successful. And then also just, I kept, I get to keep doing this. I get to keep writing like stories and having people read them and like somebody wants to publish them and I'm somehow doing well enough that I'm able to feed my cat and like, you know, pay my rent and stuff. Yeah. So those are kind of my two, like, I try not to have a definition of success. That's like, I have to like, you know, sell this number of books or I have to get on this list or whatever. I just, I try to keep it more in terms of like stuff that's actually meaningful kind of. Yeah, totally. Dreams bigger than heartbreak out now. Is there anything else you'd like to plug? Um, no, but thank you so much. Uh, no, our opinions you are correct. Right, ranks, your, right. your, your, your oh. podcast. Well, I mean, yeah, I can actually, plug these after the episode anyway, but you no, know. I'll plug, I'll plug. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Uh, yes. I have a podcast with Annalie Newitz called Our Opinions Are Correct. It's the two of us just geeking out about science fiction. You can find it at ouropinionsarecorrect.com. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. <laughs> oh my God. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a blast. It's such an honor to be on your podcast and like, you know, it's so great. 
A huge thank you to Charlie Jane. Dreams Bigger Than Heartbreak and Victories Greater Than Death are both out now. As she mentioned, she has her podcast, Our Opinions Are Correct. And if you're local to the Bay Area or sometimes they go on the road, there's Writers With Drinks, which is a really fun author and just literary event. And also just a huge thank you to everyone who has listened to either one or all of our 200 episodes. It's It's been a blast and we hope to keep doing this. If you liked this episode, we would love it if you could leave us a rating or a review or even consider subscribing.